We're continuing on in John. Turn to John 16, if you will. This is fantastic. We're already at chapter 16 after 13 months. It's a common theme that happens 14, 15, 16 is that Jesus is preparing the disciples for His departure, for what is about to happen. It is the Passion Week. Some would argue and say that a lot of what we're about to hear and what we have been hearing and what we will hear is happening either in the upper room or is happening while in transition, walking across the Kidron Valley over to the Garden of Gethsemane or maybe even at the Garden of Gethsemane. But we paint the picture for you. It's the last hours. We're in the Passion Week. And Jesus is sharing with those that He has poured His life into. He's called them His friends. He's talked about love. He's talked about suffering. He's talked about abiding. And now this morning, we hear His instruction on how we might be able to do this. How the disciples might be able to do this in the span of all that they're about to face. You know, here's the, here's the challenge. is As we look at the title of the message this morning, it's called, It's Better If I Leave. Have you ever had anybody do that to you? You know, maybe there's a little bit of tension around a dinner party or something. The next thing you know, your guests, well, it's probably better if I just leave. Or, or maybe uh, you're just bringing the team down, you know? You can't pitch very well at all. I've thought this often on the softball mound with our team. It, it's just better if I leave. And Sam's probably thinking the same thing. It's better if you leave and I bring in someone else to pitch. Jesus is actually saying these words. Can you imagine that? This is Jesus, your Lord and Savior, the Son of God. And now He's saying, it's better if I leave. Have you ever been left in confusion? So my, my job this morning is to help us navigate this statement. These words that He gives to us have a deeper meaning. And we're going to explore that this morning. I want to give you three examples before we get into the message about the need for help. You know, I know of an individual that has had a loss in their family. A death. And it's deeply impacted them. It has strangled them. It has rendered them wobbly. Probably the best way for me to say it. And this individual knows the Word of God. They've been taught the Word of God. They've heard the Word of God. They've even responded on some levels to the words of Christ. And yet they're left with a decision. Will they go it alone in the midst of tragedy? Just try to grab the steering wheel and white-knuckle it. Will they seek help? Have you been there? 
You know, there's something about our society that says we're supposed to be strong. We're supposed to be able to maintain. We as Americans, we don't do a real uh, stellar job at the idea or the concept or principle of grieving. We don't come together in community as well as we should when it comes to grieving. I've been overseas, I've been in other cultures where life shuts down. The community surrounds themselves. There's no need to ask for help because help is already given. But in our society, in our, I don't know if it's the baby boomers, I don't know if it's Ozzie and Harriet to blame, I don't know who it is, but we have this Damocles of understanding that a real man holds it together. A real man doesn't have to ask for help. I know of a housewife. They can't do it all. She knows all of her friends are able to do what she can't. She can't work the job and take care of the kids, go to Bible study, and do it all well. And there's a scrutiny on her to perform. She can't handle the pressure of it. It's immense pressure. And there's a time period where maybe there was an injury. Maybe there was a little bit of a breakdown. And medication was prescribed, and through that medication, there was opportunity to handle the pain, the lack of ability to measure up. And rather than ask for help, there was a choice, just like the man I spoke of. There was a choice offered, either ask for help or just take care of it silently by yourself. There's a college student I know. who loves the Lord, but struggled for years silently by themselves, wondering, knowing who they are inside, knowing their feelings, their emotions, their perception that they don't fit. They have a secret. They have a secret that they dare not share. They're, they dare not tell people especially the church, because there will be no help. You see, this individual struggles for years because they believe that they fit in a different category. They maybe are not perceived as normal, and they just don't know what to do with it. And you see, what's easier for them is to not ask for help but to remain silent and live with the pressure and the scrutiny that how they see themselves and their attractions doesn't fit with the church because of their sexual preference. This morning, we're going to look at the issue of asking for help. 
And at the end, you'll hear the results of all three of those people. But before we do so, we've got to get into the Scripture. And so I'm going to read the first six verses. This morning, Jesus is building a platform of trust. Alright, and we're going to move through this quickly because it is important, but it's not where we want to land necessarily. So I'm going to be very interactive with you, and I'm going to simply ask you, you got it? And if you got it, you say, good. Alright? And, and then we can move on. And until everybody says good, we can't move on. So... Come on, help me out a little bit. All right. No, don't, don't say it unless you got it. Here we go. Verses 1 through 6. Jesus continues on. Now, he's talked, about, he's talked about abiding. He's talked about how it's surrounded in love. Then he's, now last week, we looked in the previous part of this message and, and discourse to his disciples. He talks about persecution. And now he transitions and he says this. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to Him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Jesus is building a platform of trust. Now all of a sudden He kind of segues. He, he talks about the elephant in the room. Does anybody hate the elephant in the room? I hate the elephant in the room. Now I try really hard not to be rude and, and make everybody uncomfortable, but there are times where I know everybody's thinking and it's just better to get it over with and, and, and speak about it. Jesus speaks about the elephant in the room and He's trying to remind them, guys, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. You need to abide. But here's what's going to happen. Now, He's building a platform of trust. Why, why do we know that? Number one, He's edifying them. He's edifying them. He's trying to build them up because He senses the sorrow that's in their heart. The same stands true for you and I today. Have you ever wished Jesus could just be next to you and just take care of it all? And yet He's not. Physically. And so He knows. He knows if we speak of communion, if we speak of this idea of being together and abiding, that there needs to be this understanding. Where are you, Jesus? And He's saying, I'm going to have to leave. But wait, there's something coming. And I'm going to prepare you. He's edifying them. Number two, He's equipping them. He's equipping them for what they will face. By the way, he, He's edifying them and saying, I'd say these things to you, all of what He's saying here, to keep you from falling away. Remember that. I'm saying all of these things to keep you from falling away. Because those three stories I told you prior, not all of them are going to end happy stories. And Jesus understands this. He's invested so much time, so much effort, so much work, so much love, compassion, all of that into these guys. And now He's saying, I don't want you to fall away. This is why I'm telling you this. Secondly, Jesus is equipping them for what they're going to face. Two things in this area. Number one, their own demise. Because He specifically says what? He says they will put you out of synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you that they think that they are offering service to God. Each of the disciples was killed, was martyred. 
except for John, and they tried to get John. And he knows that. He knows what's happening. But he's also saying, so that they don't lose hope, he's predicting, he's foreshadowing what's about to happen with the crucifixion. They're going to watch this, whether up close or from a distance. And if there is something that will take every ounce of hope and bleed it out of you, it is to watch the death of a dream. And he wants to make sure that he builds them up. He builds a platform of trust. Do not worry. This is going to happen. When it happens to you, do not worry. He's equipping them. He's preparing them. Next, Jesus is clarifying for them why the persecution will happen. He says two things. Number one, because they don't know the Father. They don't know me. We talked about persecution last week, and the reality of this is simply we should face persecution because if we're following the Father, if we're following Jesus Christ, there will be an offset. There will be a difference. If we did it right now, and I said, all right, all conservatives sit on this side of the room, and all liberals sit on this side of the room, we would be a house what? Oh, that was easy. That was a softball, folks. My pitching just got better, Sam. We would be a house divided, but praise God that we follow God and not a philosophy. Therefore, it is God that unifies us. It is God that brings us into community. But there will be those that do not share because they do not know the Father. They do not know the Son. When you face persecution, simply understand that. They simply do not know the Father and the Son. Therefore, if you are being persecuted for Christ, what does that say about you? You do know the Father. You do know the Son. And that's why the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 says, For the joy set before Him, Christ endured the shame of the cross for you and I. Because He knew what the result would be. Our salvation. So He clarifies. He's also sympathizing with them. Jesus is, is addressing the sorrow in their hearts. You heard it. He, he's saying, you know, none of you ask where I'm going. He's not wondering, is that not there? It's the issue of you are so sorrowful you've given up on even asking now. That's the elephant in the room, by the way. Is that he's already told them that he's leaving. They're reacting to it. The sorrow is building. He sees it. Have you ever tried to heal someone's heart in the immediate where there's great sorrow and you feel helpless? Just understand that Jesus is building a platform of trust. He doesn't try to heal their sorrow immediately. He just addresses it. But he doesn't try to heal it immediately. Because it will take a sequence of events. It will take His resurrection. It will take the Spirit arriving to make all of this come together and to reunite the disciples and us with the Father. The song of the redeemed. He's sympathizing with them. He is what? He's preparing them. He's preparing them. He understands their frailty and He isn't quiet about it because there's much that's about to happen. A wise man once said this, building trust is the single greatest enabler to open the gate for help. Let me say it one more time. Building trust is the single greatest enabler to open the gate for help. So let's look at our second point this morning. Why don't people want help? Why don't people want help? Let me read the next section of, of what we're going to study this morning. I'm going to read verses 7 through 15 just to kind of predicate where we are. 
in where we're going. Picking up in verse 7, it says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority. But whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is Mine. Therefore, I said that He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. We could preach for six months just on that passage. I have eight minutes. So we're going to be very purposeful about what we're going to look at this morning. And I want to set the table with this question. Why is it people don't want help? Now you notice that he's talked about the helper. And we'll, we'll get that. Actually, let me, let me introduce that to you right now. Um, the helper, as described here, is a Greek word, by the way. Let me, just, let me just, here's the elephant in the room, folks. How many of you sat underneath teaching where pastors get into it, they're, they're really deep, and, and I'm not being critical, but they're really deep and they tell you these Greek words, and, and uh, anybody? Like, here's the Greek, and, and now how many of you have gone out and used that Greek word? <laughs> I don't understand why, in my profession, we tell you a different language that you never use. Uh, that's like what I call handstands of the hubris. You ever seen anybody do a handstand? They're not doing it for health. They're not doing it for any other reason than to what? To show off that they know how to do a handstand. I kind of feel like when we tell you the Greek, we're just showing off that we know something you don't. Okay, so I'm not going to tell you a word you will never use. What I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you what that word means because that is what is important. What the word means is to come alongside. When Jesus says, I'm going to give you a helper, it means he is going to provide... Now, where was Jesus this entire ministry for three years with the disciples? Right alongside them. And now he's saying, I'm going to go away. And not only is he going to send a helper, he's going to send somebody who is a partner, a teammate. But there's a, a deeper depth to this concept, this understanding of this word that he uses, and that is to come alongside. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that encouraging to know he who was alongside you is being removed and now he says, I have to leave, but it's going to be better if the Spirit who I send, he is able to not only be your teammate, not only be your helper, not only be your confidant, not only be your guide, all those things I was to you while I was here, but just like I was alongside you, he will be alongside you. That's this word, helper. And if you want to use Greek, you can just say perikaleidos. All right? Have fun with it. Why don't people want help? Pride. Why else? Trust. Why else? Guilt. Sometimes they're ignorant. Maybe they don't believe that they need help. How about rebellious? Or free will? You see, God's given you the ability to say, no, I don't want help. I don't want help. 
choosing not to ask. He says, it would be better if I leave. Jesus is transitioning. And I alluded to Ephesians 5, 31 through 32. I'm going to paraphrase it for you. You can mark it down in your notes right now if, if, if you choose to. We're going to go to some other scripture in a moment. But he simply says that we are to be unified with Christ with a depth and a union that is unparalleled by any other relationship. But Paul says, this is a mystery to me, but the best way I can describe it is a husband-wife relationship. And in verse 30 it says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother, and he will cleave to what? To his wife. That's a problem. I always go over that with my premaritals. I start premarital with three couples this week. And they'll hear about this. And I try to work it into the actual service. You know, it's kind of a message to the parents. Uh, you all need to back off now. Okay? You kind of need to leave. Get in the background. You can be somewhat of a support. You can be a little bit of a helper. But he becomes her helper and she becomes his helper and primarily they draw upon the help of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is transitioning. He's leaving. He's leaving. What a beautiful message for you and I today that even though He is not physically present here, that if we know Christ, if we have asked Him to be Lord of our life, His Holy Spirit is resident within us. Not everybody in those days had the privilege to walk next to Christ, did they? They had to go and seek Him. Do you realize the advantage when He says, it is better if I leave? Here's why. Because for all of you, you get to carry Christ with you. You get to carry Christ in your heart. Next, all the saints may now abide in Him through the Holy Spirit. And that's what I was just speaking to, is that because of that, it's not limited in the scope of attention, of coming alongside. Now there's a proliferation of help through the Holy Spirit. It's not limited. And third, because He leaves, we have access to the Father through the Son by the Spirit. It is a completion of all the roles of who God is and what He designed. We get to participate with the Godhead through the Spirit, reminding us of who Jesus is and how He operates and His words that edify, encourage, help us with the understanding of how to live in context to who God is, God the Father is. Here's what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. We read through this. Now we're going to give some meat to it. Number one, He talks about the fact that one of the primary focuses of this helper is to convict the world of its sin and call it to repentance. Turn to Titus 3 in your scriptures. And we're going to read a passage here real quickly, 3.5. And it says this, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And you go on, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. The, one of the major roles of the Spirit or the Helper is to convict us of sin. Jesus was constantly saying, go and sin no more. He was pointing out where our weaknesses are. Where are those boundaries? Where are those blockades that keep us from God? 
And people would seek Him after truth, wanting to know, where are the boundaries? How do I live righteously? Remember the, the rich ruler, right? And he says, I've done all these things. I've followed the law. And Jesus says, yeah, hold on, cowboy. There's this one thing over here. And he walks away because he doesn't want to deal with it. He doesn't want to give it up. He would rather be, rather than ask for help, he would rather be materialistic than live in the beautiful harmony and communion of relationship with God. So the Holy Spirit takes on that role now and comes alongside of us. Number two, He will reveal God's righteousness. 1 Corinthians 2, 12-13. Let's turn there as well. And this is one of my favorite passages that speaks to that which is unseen. That which goes beyond, and, and I know that all of us struggle, and I'll just share with you as well that I struggle with this area. To know the mind of God, and, and Romans uh, 11 talks about this, and it's an Old Testament quote, but who can know the mind of the Lord? Who has ever given counsel to God that God should give back to Him? And yet, God gives us an answer here, and let's look at verses 12-13. through 13 says this, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Now at the end of this, it says to those who are brilliant, right? It says to those who, who dress really well. It says to those who can raise their hands during worship. It, it says all those things, right? No, it simply says to those who are spiritual. Meaning what? Meaning those who are seeking spiritual things. Each of us have a spirit. Each of us have a soul. That doesn't classify us in this realm. It is those who want to live in accordance with spiritual things that this talks about. That then the Holy Spirit will reveal these things about God. And because Jesus' job is to point man to God, if He is removed, now the Holy Spirit needs to come in and remind us of what God's standard of righteousness is. You know, you'll watch a football game maybe later today and you'll see a lot of stats. Does anybody know uh, Peyton Manning's passer rating in the room? You will by the end of the day if you watch the game. And the reason they keep a hold of all those stats is to set the mark. And I'll guarantee you, every quarterback in the NFL, secretly, they may not admit it, but secretly they want to surpass that mark. That's the high water mark. You know, when Jesus left, we had nothing around this world for us to see the righteousness of God other than His work through us. And that's why the Helper comes. That's why the Holy Spirit comes. Is as Jesus is removed, now the Spirit comes and reminds us of the high water mark, the righteousness of God. He will demonstrate Christ's judgment over Satan. By the way, Satan is beat. In case you don't know that, it, it, unless we choose to allow him, Satan is beat. Does anybody know where he was beaten down? The cross. Yes. Somewhere in western Judea, he received a serious, permanent beatdown. 1 John 4.4 4 says this, and I emphasize that you should underline this, memorize it, understand 
know this. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The Spirit is here to constantly remind us that Satan is beaten. And how do we live within that? We have to ask for help to understand it. Some of us are living in the realm of saying, I just don't get it, I don't understand, I, I, I don't know why all these bad things are happening. And, and Pastor, I, I, read a, I read an article recently about the ten worst things. Sorry, I can't do that. Like, there you go. Ten worst things that Christians say to people. Like, if you're going through crisis. One of the things that people hate to hear is, all things work together for good for those who love Him. Have you ever had somebody tell you that in the midst of a crisis and you want to punch them in the face? I'll show you good. i got a good right cross. Have you ever had uh, somebody tell you that, um, well, it's just God's divine appointment? Now, God does divine appointments. But you leave somebody with just that thought and you don't explain through it and you don't walk someone through it, that's not a comfort. And Jesus didn't necessarily leave these little axiomatic terms as a way of dealing with what is the truth in life. He will direct all believers to all truth. He will direct all believers to all truth. 1 John 2, 18-21. First of all, again, we're looking at the Helper. He will demonstrate Christ's judgment over Satan. There are bad things that happen. I recently had somebody talk about the fact that they were frustrated because they work really hard at serving God and yet bad things are happening. Why? It's, maybe it's just not worth it. I'm just not seeing God in all of this. And here's the fantastic thing is that the Holy Spirit has to point you to the truth of the matter. And here's the truth, folks. We live in a broken world. Is God in control? Yes. Did man do this to themselves? Yes. And we have free will to choose. And when I make a free will choice, let's say just like, I don't know, Jonah maybe, God has His divine appointment for me, but I'm going to make a free will choice to live in rebellion again. You see how all this is kind of tying together now. And God's going to be with me, but... I'm making choices that determine the factor of how hard he has to do a full Nelson against my neck before I finally acquiesce to what he has for me, which is good. So it's not God's fault that I'm feeling a little pain. There will be pain and suffering in this world. Now the question is, do you ask for help in the midst of it? Because the help is offered. It's waiting there. It's alive. It's right beside you. And what a tragedy if we just acquiesce and say, this stinks. And we just sit in the stink. When all along, right next to us was the answer. He points us to truth. He points us to truth. Let me read this. 1 John 2, just a little bit over. 18 through 21. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. 
They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they were not all of us. Let me explain that because now 20 is where we're going to get the focus of that the Spirit reveals all truth to us. Have you ever been betrayed by somebody? Have you ever suddenly had the truth dawn on you and you thought you were going down the right path and all of a sudden, uh, no, this ain't working right. What John's speaking to is those that had come into the early church that said that they were godly people, said that they were following Christ, but it says if they had been with us, they would have continued or remained or they would be abiding with us. But they wanted to live it a little bit differently or maybe radically differently. And they had the free will to choose and so they went their direction. And the only conclusion we can draw from that is that they were not of us. Remember, Jesus states it plainly. They're going to throw you out of synagogues and they're going to kill you. And why are they going to do this? Because they don't know me and they don't know the Father. That's why this is going to happen. The Spirit will remind us of all truth and listen to how it plays out here starting verse 20. But you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. Part of the role of the Helper is to come alongside and give you the answers that you need spiritually when you need those answers. This morning, understand that He will reveal even more about Jesus Christ. He is continually pointing to Jesus Christ. This is His role. You heard me say it last week that if there are those that are around you or even yourself that may say, hey, the Holy Spirit told me that we should... And it is in direct contradiction to what Jesus' words are. That's impossible. Jesus is simply stating, and it's stated multiple times throughout Scripture. You've heard it in 1 John. You've also heard it in the Gospel that the Holy Spirit always points to the words of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus. He reminds us what Jesus' role was. He reminds us of what Jesus said for our benefit. So we are not left ignorant. Now we've covered almost that entire list. Pride, trust, guilt, ignorant, rebellious, free will. That the Helper can help us with any of those areas. My encouragement to you this morning as we finish up, is in the area of abiding. Let me share with you, I've used this analogy this morning a couple times of marriage. Let me draw parallelism if I can. When it comes to the idea of abiding and the helper, think in these terms, in marriage. There are couples that when you get married, for the sake of our discussion right now, fit into three categories. Number one, those who say, I do, and they don't even move in together. You say, what? Do you actually know? Oh, of course. Of course there's people that live that way. Because they're not about the marriage. They're about having some of the benefits of marriage, but they're busy with their careers. And their careers are more important than the marriage itself. But they said, I do. And yet they don't even move in together. Is that abiding? You cannot abide that way. Secondly, there are those who say, I do. And they move in, but they fail to trust. 
rely and serve one another. So they're a de facto marriage, but they're not a thriving marriage. Again, self-reliance is plastered all over the walls of these first two marriages. Thirdly, those who say I do, they move in, they develop a team, and they abide with one another. And the idea of this team is that they're actively serving one another and helping one another. This morning my question to you is simply this. Jesus' question to you is this. Are you ready to reach out for the helper? There are times where He describes the Holy Spirit as simply that, the Holy Spirit. But He's very specific with this Word. And this is what we need to grasp this morning. Whatever your challenge is today, you have a helper. You have one that understands beyond what you can understand. You have one that can help you beyond what you could possibly do. What is your resistance from asking? What is my resistance from asking? Why is it that I choose to walk alone? Those three couples, or three examples I gave you initially. The individual who suffered loss in their family, suffered death, I wish I had a good ending to that story. It's in progress. I haven't talked to that individual for a very long time. I don't know where they're at, but they never sought help. Not from other people. They became consumed in their bitterness. They became consumed in their sorrow. And their life reflected it. The housewife. The housewife had a Damascus Road experience. And the housewife met incredible odds when it came to trusting the helper. The housewife reached out to the helper. In free will, she chose to simply ask for that which seemed to be impossible. Her life has changed today. Is life still challenging? Absolutely. And she keeps asking. And she keeps seeing success. And she keeps seeing joy. She keeps seeing Jesus working on her behalf. Because you know why? She reached out to the one walking alongside her. The college student? The college student has become militant against the church because they gave up asking for help. The college student has become militant against the church because they never believed that there would be enough trust and enough help within the church that they could reveal their deepest secret because it didn't fit within the pages of the Scripture. Nobody did a really good job of explaining it. They gave themselves over to conjecture and worldly philosophy and their own thoughts rather than seeking the help of the Holy Spirit. And to this day, that individual is a businessman, 
He's making life happen. But he fits in the category of in rebellion and self-deception. And he's not abiding. My question to you today in closing is simply this. Will you ask for help? Will you ask for help? Because it's there for the asking. Let me close in prayer. And this morning as we finish our time of worship, thank you for being here. Reach out to one another. Encourage one another. Greet one another. We start life groups tomorrow night. Make sure you sign up at the kiosk. Um, those that are signed up for the Monday night, we will be meeting in the fireside room. We exceeded my living room. There's no way for us to physically do that without, I don't know, I, maybe I should ask for help. I don't know. Um, thank you for being here today. We pray that the Lord has spoken to your heart. The greatest encouragement will simply be if you act on this rather than just taking it in. Act on it. Two teams gather on a field today and they've done a lot of work in a conference room watching tape and going over plays. If they never went out onto the field and practiced what they studied, it would show today. And for us as the church, if we do not practice what we are learning, it will show. But if we do practice what we learn, that too will show. Let me close in prayer and the men prepare for the offering and Stephen can come close us with a song. Lord God, it is a blessing to be gathered in your name to hear the encouraging words that there is a helper for us. What a challenge it is, Lord, to know that you have gifted to us the Holy Spirit. That we don't have to go this alone. And that, Father, it works. But part of that is dependent, a very large part of that is dependent on our willingness to ask. Your Son said over and over, Seek and you will find. Seek and you will find. Ask and it will be given to you. Lord, open our eyes, open the eyes of our heart that we may understand those areas where we just choose to wallow in stink and say enough is enough, I'm going to ask for help. And then for us to recognize the work of Your Spirit both internally and externally so we may give praise to You and build that platform of trust over and over and over. So we are rooted and established in your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord God, take this offering, use it to do incredible things, wonderful things, marvelous things. Thank you for watching over this body of believers. And I pray for everyone that's sitting here right now. Each of us carry our own trials and our own challenges. And some of them are deep secrets. Lord, help us to trust your Holy Spirit and act on what we've learned. To your glory, Father. Amen.